mighty river come fill me again come and fill me again Boker Tov all right, let's try that again. That's Hebrew for good morning. We just got back from Israel. So boker is morning. Tov, like mazel tov. Tov is good. So boker tov. All right, you guys are all ready to go to Israel next time. Uh, yeah, just returned with a group of about 33 folks from the church doing a trip to Israel. Had a really special time. If you didn't get to go, we'll do another one in a couple years. So keep your eye out for that. But we had a really cool time seeing really significant places on earth where God had done unique things. So here's a picture from one of the spots we visited. This is the Western Wall or the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem. This is a holy site for Jews because this is the closest place they are allowed to go to the spot where the Holy of Holies once stood in the original temple. They're usually not allowed up on the Temple Mount because it's now an uh, Islamic mosque. So they go to the Western Wall and, the, and they pray there. Because that spot where they believe, uh, well, where we believe the Holy of Holies stood is a unique spot on this planet. It's where Solomon built the temple in the 10th century BC. That temple was destroyed and then Zerubbabel built a new temple there in the 6th century BC. And then Herod renovated that temple, expanded it to be glorious in the first century BC. Uh, that's where the temple was when Jesus walked the earth. Muslims believe that that's the spot. There's a rock there where Muhammad stepped on before he ascended into heaven. And so now there's the Dome of the Rock on that spot on this planet. And the courtyard surrounding it forms the largest mosque in the world. One point on this planet somehow is imbued with so much meaning. Why is that? We believe God is infinite. We believe God is everywhere. Why would one place be any different than another place? Seems that there's something about us that connects with specific places. We may even notice that in ourselves, in our childhood or, or young adulthood or throughout our lives, there's places that we go that somehow bring back memories and meaning. Something about place. We're kicking off a four-week series today for Advent. And Advent is a journey where we're moving progressively towards the great story of Jesus becoming human, being born in a specific place at a specific time. Theologians call that moment the incarnation. And we learn something about God and his creation through the fact that he chose to become flesh, to come walk the earth, to come to a place. We learn that God cares about the physical things, about the earth, about our flesh, about our bodies. It means that there's a whole level of meaning that gets put onto the stuff in earth. And so we've titled this series, The Things of Earth. So throughout Advent, we'll be talking about the physical parts of this earth and why they matter and what the incarnation teaches us about them. This morning, we're kicking off by talking about place. 
asking the question, why place matters? You might call this a theology of place. You might call this an explanation of why myself and several of us feel uniquely called to this area in the world. You could consider it an invitation for yourself to think about the places that you live and work and operate and what God has planned for you there. Throughout this morning, we'll be talking about the power of place. Now, I need to give a few uh, apologies in advance. First of all, as I said, I just got back from Israel. So we're talking about place. I got back from a cool place. It's going to be some Israel stories. I guarantee at some point during the sermon, you'll think, we get it, Paul. You went to Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We know. So I'm just going to lean into that, apologize for it in advance, and uh, you can roll your eyes at the appropriate time. There's also going to be a lot of P words this morning. It just happens to be that purposes and place and particular and plans and people, there's just a lot of words that start with P. I didn't plan it that way. It just (laughs) popped out. I don't know. Um, So I'll just, you can groan and roll your eyes there too. That's all right. I'm used to it. What I want to have us think about this morning is how God uses place how God uses specific places at different times for his purposes. It's a simple idea. And as we leave this morning, the question I want you to be leaving with is to wrestle with this idea of how you are called to this place. Now, maybe this isn't your place. Maybe you're visiting, or you're from out of town, or you're away at college and you're back, so maybe it's a different place. But I want you to ask the question, how are you called to your place? Because I believe God has a plan for you in the places that he's put you. And sometimes we don't stop enough to consider what those plans are. To do that, we're going to be looking through scriptures a little bit and putting together just a really simple model of how God works with the different places in our lives. And then we'll be unpacking that model together as we think about the place we are and the people we are and what God's purposes might be. So let's begin at the beginning. Genesis 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The story of God's work begins with him creating a place, the heavens and the earth. When I first realized this, it it kind of upset me because I think that we should be the first thing, right? Shouldn't the story be about us? Aren't people the crowning glory of God's creation? Why should the place be first? I'm the youngest of three children. My brother is five years older than me. My sister is six years older than me. And so there was a period of time where my family existed without the blessing of my presence (laughs) among them. And occasionally my family likes to speak of those days, which I think of as the dark ages. But um, sometimes, you know, they'll go so far to call them the good old days. And uh, it always just bothered me that my family existed before I was a part of it. Aren't I the center of it? How could my family have been around without me? And we might think the same thing about God's creation, that God began with this place, the heavens and the earth. The place comes first. 
And yet the place also comes last. If we keep reading, we read that God continues his purposes and ends by recreating. Listen to Revelation 21, 1 to 2. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. God gave the Apostle John a vision of a recreated place. In some senses, it was the same as the original place. It was a heavens and an earth, but in another sense, it was a brand new one. It was a new heavens and a new earth. And so we might say the whole story of the Bible begins with a place, and then that place was damaged. God set into motion a plan to restore it. He saved it, and he finally recreated it. In some sense, that's the whole story of the Bible. And yet, it isn't quite the whole story because people do have a role. After God created that place, he put someone in it. We read about this later on in Genesis. Genesis uh, 2, verses 10 and 11, and I'm going to jump ahead to verse 15. Speaking about this place, the author says, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is the Pishon. It is the one that flowed around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. Jumping ahead to verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and keep it. So the author of Genesis wants us to realize that this spot on earth is a specific place. It's not a symbolic idea of a place, the Garden of Eden. This is that spot where one river became four, and one of the rivers goes towards the land of Havilah. This is a point on the earth. And then God takes a human and he puts him in that place for a specific reason, to work it and keep it. And so we see that God takes a person and puts him in a place for his purposes. And if we keep reading in scripture, we realize that this same thing happens over and over again on a much larger scale. We've recently been in the book of Exodus, and we've seen how God has rescued his people from one place, and he's sending them to another. Listen to how that is described. This is a little bit further on in Exodus, chapter 32, verse 34. But now go, this is God speaking to Moses, but now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. So God doesn't just take individual people. He took the man and the woman and put them in the garden. He also takes a community of people and sends them to the place that he has spoken of. And what he has spoken of is that that is the place where he will create them to be a light to the world. And so what we've observed then is that God seems to do this. He seems to take people and put them in places for his purposes. God puts people in places for his purposes. Periodically, prophetically, other P words, insert as necessary. 
This is really critical for us to understand because there is a dangerous idea floating around in our culture. The idea that threatens to disrupt this notion is that place doesn't matter. That the spots we find ourselves are, are essentially irrelevant. I don't know how many times I've heard somebody say lately, especially since the pandemic, it doesn't matter where I live. I can work anywhere. Have you heard that? Say that over and over again. It doesn't matter where I live. Now, I know that when people say that, they mean that their remote work makes life convenient, but think about that phrase, it doesn't matter where I live. Friends, that is a lie. Do not believe that idea. It matters where you live. It matters where you work. It matters the communities that you interact with. It matters where you go to school. It matters the people you are around. The place that God has put you uniquely is incredibly important. Do not believe the lie that it does not matter where you live. God puts people in specific places for his purposes. Now, we might put this idea together in a kind of simple diagram. Here's just a little triangle diagram. We have God's purposes, a people, and a place. And we're going to see as we move through this morning how these three ideas come together and how God seems to use them to accomplish his goals in the world. This is what we saw in that first verse, right? God took a person, and put him in a place, the garden, to work it and keep it. We'll see that as Moses leads the people to the promised land so that they could become a nation to give light to the world. You see this throughout Judges, throughout the Old Testament, and King David, and the exile, all throughout the Bible. And then, of course, the moment we're looking forward to, God sends his son to the world in order to save it. Once you see this pattern of a place and a person for God's purposes, you'll see it all over Scripture. This is how God works. What we're going to do now then is try to unpack that a little bit for us and ask the question what this model can do for us to help us to understand our role in God's plan. So let's begin by thinking about place. All right, we'll highlight the place part of this diagram, and we'll think about the place that God has us here in the Silicon Valley in the 21st century. But before we do that, let's rewind a little bit and go back to the first century. Let's think about the place where God sent Jesus, first century Israel. Jesus could have come anywhere. He could have come any time, but God chose a specific place for Jesus to be born and do his ministry. So Jesus was born in Bethlehem. He did ministry throughout Israel. He was crucified and rose in Jerusalem. And then shortly after his resurrection, he gathered together his disciples in a special place, a room called the Upper Room, where Jesus had celebrated his last meal before being crucified. And from there, he gave them a mission. Here's a little side note. Here's a picture of our middle school pastor, Bella, teaching her disciples, that was us, uh, in the upper room in Jerusalem. 
This is the traditional site where the upper room was located, and Bella did a great job teaching us in that very powerful spot on Earth. We got to do this all throughout our trip. It was really fun to experience these places and learn about what had happened there. But 2,000 years before Bella spoke there, Jesus did. Um, they're easy to get confused. And um, this is what Jesus said, Acts 1, verse 8. Uh, Jesus said, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So notice what's going on here. Jesus is standing in a very special place, and he's talking about four other places, Jerusalem and Samaria and Judea and all the ends of the earth. And he's saying that from that spot, the gospel will go forward in four ways. Interesting to note, actually, that the Garden of Eden was at a place where one river became four. And now the gospel comes to a place where it will spread out in four ways. And we might think about how the specific place that God chose contributed to the spread of the gospel. See, Jerusalem is at the crossroads of the world. There's no other spot on earth that has such close proximity to three continents, Europe, Asia, and Africa. If you wanted to get anywhere in the ancient world, it usually went through that part of the world, Jerusalem and the surrounding area. Now, during that time of uh, the world in the first century, Israel was controlled by the Roman Empire. And the Romans had spent 100 years by then developing what they called the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome. And what this meant was that a vast part of the world's population lived under the control and under the relative stability of the Roman Empire, which meant that you could travel from one spot to another within that empire with relative safety. It meant that different cultures could come together and interact. It meant that ideas could spread in a way that they wouldn't have been able to be spread a hundred years prior. Not only was there peace, there was also an incredible road system. The Romans loved to build roads. 50,000 miles worth of roads were built across the Roman Empire. It's approximately the same amount of roads as the U.S. interstate system has today, but built 2,000 years ago. Again, those roads meant that people and ideas and messages could spread very, very quickly throughout the world. Finally, of course, um, because of all that, the gospel that started in Jerusalem could light like a wildfire and spread throughout the ancient world. The geography, the culture, the politics, the economics, all of those things converged so that the place that God chose ended up being perfect for his message to go forth. Well, what does that mean today? Well, let's think about the place that we live. Most of you are here sitting in a chair in Palo Alto, California. Some of you are online and you might be near us or you might be around the world. Some of you are on the patio. But at least for this moment in time, the vast majority of us find ourselves here. So what's true about here? Well, consider this 
observation from a tech journalist. Silicon Valley is the new Rome of our time, meaning a place in the world that ends up deciding how a lot of the rest of the world lives. No matter where you lived on the planet Earth, when the Roman Empire started to rise, it had plans for you one way or the other, through your legal system or your language or culture or something else. The Roman Empire was coming for you. Silicon Valley is that for our time. It's the new Rome in that you can't live on planet Earth and be unaffected directly or indirectly by the decisions made in this relatively small patch of the world. I've experienced this to be so true around the world. Silicon Valley is the new Rome of our time. You can't go anywhere on planet Earth and not find an iPhone or a Gmail account or something that knows about Apple or Google or Meta or Instagram. The things that happen here are spread throughout the whole world. And not only that, but they become highways, channels of information, like the Roman roads, that disperses information faster than it's ever happened in the history of humankind. We live in this incredible part of the world. The companies that are headquartered here, just a short list. Uh, Tesla has transformed the auto industry. Apple and Google make products that everybody has. HP, LinkedIn, VMware, Cisco, Zoom, Adobe, Netflix, Broadcom, on and on. All of these companies that are transforming the world. Somebody has said that there's three major centers of power in the United States. New York is the financial industry, LA is the entertainment industry, and Silicon Valley is the technology industry. And if you had to ask which industry today is changing the world in the most radical ways, I think I'd argue the technology industry is that. We are at, in some ways, the center of the world. It's also an incredibly wealthy place. Santa Clara County, where we live right now, where we are in Palo Alto, is the third wealthiest county in the country, behind two counties in Virginia, the third wealthiest. If you go on Santa Clara County's website, they will say that there are 100 distinct languages spoken in Santa Clara County. If you asked me to list languages, I would stop at about 10. I don't even know there were 100 different languages. 50% of households in Santa Clara County don't, don't speak English at home. This spot in the world is incredibly unique. And it's our place. This is where you find yourself, at least for the next uh, three hours or so, depending on how long I go. But uh, <laughs> this is where you find yourself, in Santa Clara County. This is our place. Now, that's not to say that our place is more important than some other place on the world. It's just our place. We just happen to be here. And there are unique things about here that if we're going to be here and take seriously God's plan for the world, we need to be aware of what makes this place unique. So my encouragement then is that you pay attention to this place. Pay attention to this place. Stop and ask questions about the spot that you find yourself. What is the spiritual climate 
of this place? What seems to drive the people that you know? What assumptions about life, what goals, what frustrations, what hopes do people have here that might be unique from other places? Many of you may have traveled over the Thanksgiving holidays, and that's a great chance to see another place and then come back to this place and you see things with a little bit different perspective. Pay attention to what makes this place special. I've been praying that during this week that, that the Spirit would help us as a community to, to just notice things. What, what is it about my workplace or my community or my neighborhood or my school that seems to be something unique. And then, what does God want to do with that? We've started thinking about the place, and we've made some observations about the uniqueness of this place. So let's move on to the people. Let's ask the question, who are we? Who are we in this place? Why has God put us here? Now, I want to start with a story about 10 years ago, the PBC elders found out that the property next door to our property was going up for sale. If you, if you kind of can visualize our campus, it's basically a square with a corner cut out of it, and that corner was going up to be, to be sold. And so we kind of thought, hey, that'd be cool to buy the corner, then we'd be a perfect square, right? Um, seems to make sense. So we started praying about it, and... Um, we're like, hey, this is an opportunity. It doesn't come around every time. Um, we're not sure exactly how we use the property, but maybe God is leading us to do this. We're not sure. So in classic PBC style, we just kind of threw it out to the congregation and said, hey, we're not sure what God's doing, um, but if you think God wants us to buy this, then you can pledge some money towards the purchase price. And in relatively short order, we raised a sizable amount of pledges toward purchasing that property. So we made a sizable bid that was overbid by an even more sizable bid classic Bay Area story, right? So we didn't buy the property. End of story. Not really. Because that made us realize something, and it made us start asking questions about the place where we find ourselves. We realized that our congregation had some willingness to uh, invest in this place, and we, so we started wondering what to do with that. We even considered selling this residential property and buying a commercial site nearby and making it all cool and spiffy inside. And, um, and then we had one of those moments that are really cool where in an elders meeting, somebody says something and it's as if the Spirit of God had spoken and it just kind of, everybody agreed. Somebody said, I think God has us on Middlefield Road for a reason. And it, that was it. Everybody just said, yeah, he does. Not sure what that reason is, but we're here for some purpose. And that began a season of investing in this place on Middlefield Road to prepare it and to uh, bring it up to date and to make it as useful and flexible as possible for the ministry that God has planned for here. So over the course of about seven years, we went through uh, four or five different phases of investing in different parts of our property, different ones of our buildings, bringing them up to code and, and enhancing them a little bit, reconfiguring some things. And for the most part, we're done. That season it is finished. And so the, the future of ministry that we began to prepare for seven years ago, it's now. And the question on us now is, what was God preparing us to do? 
What is his vision for this place, for this campus, in this part of the world, with this community of people worshiping here? What is he up to? We might think back to a story in the Bible where a young woman found herself in an incredibly influential spot of the world. She was queen to the king of the most powerful empire on the planet at that time. And she had a choice to make, and her cousin encouraged her to think about why God had put her there. This is from the book of Esther. I'm going to read chapter 4, verse 14. Her cousin tells her, For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the Silicon Valley for such a time as this. It's an old Hebrew word, sometimes translated Silicon Valley. Um, Who knows whether you have not come to the Silicon Valley for such a time as this. Now, I won't presume to tell you God's purposes for us in this place. The mind of God is bigger than any of us can fathom. But what I can tell you is what I long for, what I pray for regularly And what I think, what I know is at least in line with God's heart. And that is that we find ourselves in this place of incredible affluence, incredible influence, and yet so much false worship. Idolatrous worship of accomplishment and education and comfort and achievement and wealth and impact. So many false gods litter the streets of the Silicon Valley. And the problem with false gods is that they don't deliver what you want from them. They're not real gods, and so they're not going to give you what you think they'll give you. And yet here we are, here, 3505 Middlefield Road, with a message of a God who loved his creation so much to become part of it, to suffer as a person, to be crucified, to rise from the dead with a message of salvation, of transformation, of deliverance from slavery to sin, and an invitation to life to the full, to live the life that we were meant to live, a life of flourishing and meaning and community and purpose, and joy, and all the things that the Bible describes life being full of. And I pray regularly that God would connect the deep spiritual need of this Bay Area with the abundant spiritual wealth of this community. That this message we have would go forth, that the revival would come, that people would come to know Jesus, that lives would be transformed, that that message of salvation would save people who instead of finding what they want in accomplishment and achievement and impact, end up angry and lonely and tired and burned out and depressed and anxious when there is life to be had in the name of Jesus. So I'm not sure that that's exactly God's purposes for us, but I pray that we would be a community from which the gospel goes forth in all directions and people come to know Jesus. 
And if God uses that to transform the world, that's great too. But remember that sometimes God uses things of great influence. In the book of Acts, we see the gospel go forth to a centurion who held a powerful position in the Roman government. But we also see the gospel go forth to a, line, a lame beggar who had no social standing but whose life was transformed. Sometimes the gospel works in big ways through companies and power and influence. And sometimes the gospel works in small ways. But it's always God at work. My invitation to us is find a way to participate. Participate in God's plans for this place. Don't just sit by idly. Don't just think, oh, I end up living here for a couple years because this is what God has. I'm going to move on where I can buy a house. You're here now. Participate in God's plans, whatever those might be. I don't know what they are. You might not know what they are. Maybe God only gives you the next step. Just do this thing. It's not all the time that we get to see the big picture. But whatever it is, ask that question. We started off this morning thinking about a very special place on earth, the, the, the spot where the Holy of Holies stood, where the Wailing Wall is now the, the line where people can stand and pray to God. And we've talked about this pattern that God seems to choose specific places on earth, and he puts people in those specific places for his unique eternal purposes. And we've been asking the question of us, what is God's purpose for us in this place? If we go back to our diagram, we can end with thinking about God's purposes. I'd like to encourage you to take some time this week. I'll pray that the Spirit brings it to mind. You can just, whenever it comes up, ask a very simple question. Why am I here? It's that triangle question. Why is the purpose? I is the person. Here is the place. Why am I uniquely here? What are God's purposes for me in this place? And I'll pray that us as a congregation are, are doing that together as well. Why are we as Peninsula Bible Church here on Middlefield Road. What are God's purposes for us? And I hope you're excited about that question because it's an adventure to discover what, what is God doing? What are the plans he has? What are the lives he's gonna transform? What are the new barriers he's gonna break down and the communities he's going to establish? How is God gonna use us? It's such a privilege that God chooses people in places for his purposes. He could do it any way he wants. He could send us anywhere. We could live anywhere, but we live somewhere. We live here. And it's up to us together to go on the journey of asking, why are we here? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are uh, in awe of you. We're grateful for the way you work, for your majesty, for your plans that are, that are so much bigger than what we can understand or fathom, and yet you reveal little pieces of them to us. Thank you that the, the places that we find ourselves matter, that it's important to be where we are. 
And as we wrestle with these ideas, I, I pray that you would bring enlightenment, that you would give us discernment and wisdom and vision and passion to discover and live out your plans for us in this place. May you help us to live into that adventure. Give us the privilege of serving your kingdom in whatever way you would want. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. You are here.